The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Welcome to the City Bible Forum. A special welcome if you're here for the first time. And thank you for your patience as we are waiting for a few others to arrive. Well, we're very excited to start off the City Bible Forum in 2011 with this panel today. We're very honoured uh, by the presence of those who are coming to speak to us. Today's panel will be moderated by Kari Seely, who has just come in from Adelaide. John Lennon's song, Imagine, is the springboard for today's panel discussion and also some further sessions in the coming weeks as mentioned on the little pamphlet that you've got there on the back page. I think in the interest of time we'll jump straight in and meet our panellists. Um, let me introduce them for you. Now all of our panellists have a, a broad and uh, impressive bio and it actually would be quite appropriate for me to read their bios in full, but again, in the interest of time, please forgive the brevity of my introduction. Anthony Lowenstein is a freelance journalist, author, documentarian, photographer and blogger. He's written for many national and international publications. He's contributed to others' books on the Middle East and also written his own on the Israel-Palestine conflict. His radio feature documentary was a finalist in the UN Media Peace Awards. He writes regularly for online magazines and is a board member of Macquarie University Centre for Middle East and North African Studies. And today we're very pleased to have him joining our panel. Please welcome him. Moving through to your left, Simon Smart, perhaps an international man of mystery given the brevity of the material I've been given from which to pen an appropriate introduction. Nevertheless, he is a director of the Centre for Public Christianity and we are very glad to have him with us today. Please welcome Simon. And Jane Caro has self-confessed low boredom thresholds, so she wears many hats. Author, lecturer, social commentator, columnist, speaker, broadcaster, award-winning advertising uh, writer and atheist. The common thread running through her career is a delight in words and a talent for using them to connect with people. Jane, it's wonderful to have you with us. Now, perhaps, Jane, we'll start with you. Uh, perhaps you could uh, give us a little bit of an insight as to when you first connected with the sentiment of John Lennon's song, Imagine. Um, until I was asked to do this, I think, I hadn't really thought much about it in terms of sentiment. Um, I thought it was one of those nice songs we play when we go on a trip to the country and drive our daughters crazy by playing, playing old school Beatles and Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin and things. And uh, I didn't really listen. I suppose John Lennon I've always seen as a natural subversive, somebody who always challenged Anything that he saw as establishment, wasn't there that famous remark when they were playing for the Queen where he said, those of you in the um, circle rattle your jewellery, he asked the audience to clap, those of you in the circle rattle your jewellery. So he's always been someone who 
attacked what the powers that be. And I guess I love that. I'd like to say I identify with it, but I think that would be presumptuous. Mm -hmm. Simon, had, what resonates with you with this song, possibly the lyrics and sentiment? Well, I, I've, I'm one of those people who've stood on the spot that John Lennon was assassinated oh. and taken a photo. It's a bit macabre, but uh, I have done that. Um, I actually like the sentiment of the song. Uh, I appreciate what it's, it's about. It really seems to me that the song is imagining a world where there's peace and there's unity and uh, we've rid the world of a lot of the things that all of us would rather be without. So, uh, you know, I'm all with the song. It's a dream. It's idealistic. Uh, we need to dream. I guess we want to have some foundation for the dreams as well. Mm-hmm. And Anthony, when did you connect with it? What resonates for you? I think... Um in some ways, I think one of the messages I like about the song where he talks about sort of no borders, and I think I can't remember the exact line, maybe it actually is that exact line where he says, you know, a stateless world in a way. And I think if you spend any time in the Middle East as I do, the idea of how those borders were drawn by the British essentially um, after the First World War, it's been a catastrophic disaster ever since in a variety of different ways. So to imagine a situation where there are less borders or nicer borders or somehow less violent borders would be good. Hard to imagine right now, but yeah, so I have thought about it often. Mm-hmm. Now today is a panel discussion obviously between our three uh, guests, but also we'd love you to participate. So along the way, if they say something that really sparks something in you and you'd like to throw a question to them, we'd love you to participate. We'd like you to keep your participation to questions only. There is a Facebook page and an area where you can actually be part of a discussion and comments, but if we can get you to just keep today's participation to questions, about 30 seconds long so that we can keep things going. Jamie and Jeff will be running around with microphones. Jeff's at the back here. I think Jamie is upstairs. Just put your hand up, they'll come to you and we'll acknowledge you from the front and and invite you to participate, all right? That'd be great, thank you. Now looking at today's particular topic, imagine no religion, would we be better off? Just in a minute or so, Jane, um, what do you think religion is? How do you define it? Uh, I see a strong difference between personal faith and religion. Uh, To me, personal faith is an individual's own business and, you know, entirely up to them. That's about freedom and liberty to see the world in your own point of view. Organised religion, uh, I see as a completely different thing um, and I see it as part of the privileged and the powerful. Anthony, how would you define religion? Um, well, I call myself a Jewish atheist and what that means, I suppose, just to give a brief explanation, is that I'm born Jewish and I'm proud to be Jewish culturally. Uh, but I have no religious affiliation anymore. Years ago I used to go to synagogue with my parents because I had no choice Um, and that's changed. But I think for me what religion can mean is a spiritual belief in something or an assistance in helping at moments maybe of success, crisis, etc. I don't feel that I I want or need a higher being, spiritual being, something to assist in that, Um, but I don't disparage people who do. Unless, unless there is an attempt to impose that on other people, which I would argue far too often, less so in the Western countries, but certainly it happens here too, but in much, much of the world there is an attempt, and I use an extreme example of somewhere like Africa, where there are attempts by certain religious groups to outlaw homosexuality to the point of execution. That's obviously an extreme example, but that is far less fringe and I think many of us would like to acknowledge. Mm. So both of you are expressing that personal faith is one thing but when it comes into the public forum that's when we can have some challenging situations to work through. Simon, um, 
How would you just briefly define religion? Defining religion is notoriously difficult. Uh, my friend who works at Macquarie University and teaches world religions tells me that academics have more or less settled on, uh, agreed on a definition, which is religion is what it is. So religion is uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Judaism, Christianity and Islam and anything that looks like that. And so that's a, I think that's a reasonable definition. Uh, obviously, most people would be thinking of uh, a, uh, an attempt to find meaning, find meaning in life through a system of belief, usually to do with the supernatural, or not, not exclusively. Uh, and it creates normally a, a whole lot of doctrines, uh, a system of practices and ethics uh, within which you can live your life and find meaning in that. Well, Christopher Hitchens uh, said, religion is the first and worst attempt to explain our world. Now we must move on because of its failure. Has religion failed? Jane. It depends on how you look at failure. It has with me. I mean, I'm an atheist, so it has with me. Um, it depends on what it wanted to do. I think if it wanted to control large portions of the world, uh, of humanity, if it wanted to become often very rich and powerful, it succeeded. I think if it wanted to um, control, corral and limit the opportunities of women, it succeeded in doing that. Um, so it depends on what it wanted to do as to whether you decide whether it's failed or not. I think if it wanted to... And this I'm talking about is religion, organised religion, the major churches, the major world religions... If what it wanted to do was improve the lot of humankind, it has succeeded to an extent, but with large holes, which are the ones I've just mentioned. I, don't, I wouldn't define it as a success or failure until I knew what it wanted to do. Yeah, I think it gets back to our, our definition and mm. then, yeah. I and I see it as organisations. I see it as churches, hierarchies, mullahs, um, books telling you how to live and what to do. That's how I see religion. Mm -hmm. And yet I guess some people would say that there are many good things that have come out of people who are involved in organised religion. Absolutely. Well, human beings are complex. And most human beings have goodwill. Most human beings are trying to do the right thing. I think in some cases... Well, I, you know, I'm a feminist before I'm an atheist. And I suppose my biggest argument with religion is its treatment of women. And there isn't a religion that does not relegate women to second-rate status. There really isn't. I, people occasionally bring up Buddhism as an example of one that doesn't, but I always ask them the question, they can't answer it, how come the Dalai Lama has never been reincarnated as a girl? <laughs> that immediately tells you that, you know, really important people are male in the religious mind view. I don't agree. Now, Anthony's kind of smiling to himself there. Well, I think I just wanted to actually question or shoot the messenger in a way. I think Christopher Hitchens has been used wrongly as some wonderful example of what atheism can be. I mean, I think one of the things that people have forgotten with Hitchens and his Eorg Dawkins and indeed Sam Harris, the three people who've written books in the last decade or so, is that particularly with Hitchens, there actually is a particular loathing of Islam. This is not actually focused on all religions. If one reads Hitchens' work and his actions and beliefs in the last 10 years since 9-11, to me there is a fundamental difference between saying that there's a problem with religion and at the same time saying, oh, but I like the idea of America bombing most of the Middle East. So Hitchens supported the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, advocates bombing Iran. This is a man who talks about freedom and yet believes it comes at the barrel of a gun. That's the kind of person Hitchens is and I think there is a danger 
in the Western liberal elite to celebrate him, which I'm not saying you do, but many people do, including our wonderful ABC, as some kind of brave dissenter. He's not brave. I mean, the fact that he's dying is tragic, which is separate to every other question. But there is no bravery, in my view, of su suggesting that religion is problematic when you actually advocate policies imperial policies which result in the death of arguably millions of people. That to me is fundamentally problematic. I want to come back to the Middle East issue or particularly Islam in a moment, but Simon, perhaps you might have something to say. Do you feel that religion has failed as, as Hitchens has suggested? The way the question's usually put, can I imagine a world without religion? Uh, yes, uh, I, I can. And it might be a good thing because usually when it's put, uh, the, the assumption behind it is normally people who are thinking of would we be better off without terrible hatred uh, between different groups? Would we be better off without the violence and things that we associate sometimes with, with religion? Would we be better off without stifling laws and uh, things that might we feel like limit our freedom? Often people are thinking of hypocrisy and people who preach one thing and live another way. They might have experienced bad things at the hands of someone who claimed to have faith. And, you know, so I'm, I'm very sympathetic with the question, but it seems, uh, it does seem ultimately uh, kind of the wrong question because it's, to me it feels like saying we'd be, you know, we, to get rid of the, the abuses, uh, you know, we need to get rid of religion. So, you know, we might as well, like saying we, are, we want to get rid of science because we don't like bombs or we don't, we don't want to get rid of money because we don't like greed. It, it doesn't, I think we have to look at it uh, more, in a more sophisticated way than that. I think we are hardwired to, I mean, every culture throughout history pretty much has had some religious impulse. So I think it's, it does seem to be hardwired into it. So we need a more uh, nuanced discussion than just, you know, should we get rid of it? I mean, Christopher Hitchens, you know, religion poisons it. There is a thing called religion, and he wants to get rid of that. I think probably you're right about that. Uh, his his real target is Islam, but he does he he definitely doesn't uh, hold back when it comes to Christianity either. No, that's true. Um, I accept I accept that uh, Christopher Hitchens is someone you don't like and disagree with a lot no, of what I he quite says. Like no, Hitchens. not you. I mean yeah. Anthony. I quite like Christopher Hitchens too. Um, but I do think that Christopher Hitchens is ecumenical in his dislike of religion. He may aim quite a lot of it at Islam, but I think he's, he's perfectly ecumenical. And I think Richard Dawkins definitely is. Hitchens is not advocating bombing the Vatican. No, but I don't think... Oh, look, let's not get into no, that. It's a, yes. it's a different discussion. I'm not sure he's advocating bombing Islam either, but he's advocating things I don't agree with. Now, so, are there any, any questions from the floor at this stage? They're all busily writing notes and... Nodding wisely, okay. Just remember that option is available to you. Hands up and we'd love to get you part of this. Simon, you're itching to say something. I was just going to say that, uh, if I can speak for Christianity, because uh, I'm a Christian, that there's no question that Christianity has been responsible for some terrible things in the past in the name of Christ. Terrible violence, terrible oppression in certain cases and the wielding of power. Um, but I, I think Miroslav Volf, the uh, theologian from Yale, is helpful with this because he talks about the fact that there's absolutely no justification within Christian teaching for any of that sort of behaviour. And so what he says is what's normally happened is you've thinned out the faith uh, from its roots and from its tradition and it's been then appropriated by powerful interests to justify, maybe be a, a sort of a performance-enhancing drug, he says, for uh, national interests, economic interests and, and often the wielding of power. What he says is what we, we don't need less Christianity in these senses, we need more, so that people become, they come back to the faith as faith 
uh, full of its moral content and full of its original meaning, in order to, in which case, none of that sort of behaviour could be justified. Which actually leads me, I'll just move on here. Obviously, there's going to be lots that we could talk about, but there was an article in the Advertiser in Adelaide yesterday, I read it on the plane on the way over. The uh, title is Nation at Risk from Religious Fanatics. Now, what you're suggesting is people get back to their roots, but this article... What was that? Which nation? Yes, indeed, which nation? Um, Australia risks becoming a nation of ethnic enclaves who unknowingly buy meat slaughtered in the name of Allah. Uh, apparently, Liberal MPs have warned. Um, and going on, Liberal frontbencher Mitch Fifield warned of the danger of parallel societies developing, as has occurred in Europe, where hardline Muslim groups preach Sharia law rather than Western values. And uh, Corey Bernardi is saying Australia needs to avoid mistakes of countries which have allowed religious fanatics to prosper. Um, Anthony, do you have any response? It's kind of questions without notice, but any response to that? I've got a very strong response. I mean, what's ironic in the extreme with individuals like that is that they incredibly are supposedly supporting human rights for all those poor, oppressed Muslims. And yet, those two particularly have spent a lot of time in Israel and they go to a country like that which is framed as a wonderful democracy but in fact oppresses Arabs and Palestinians in the name of religion and democracy and freedom. So I think there is a real, and this is very, very common, of a lot of politicians in the West, in America, in Australia, in England, who talk about this supposed fear of enclaves, of ethnic gangs. And yes, there are issues of integration here and there, and that's, that's a given. But at the same time, to me, one has no credibility when you talk about that if you have an incredible blind spot about either supporting Israeli occupation or, for that matter, a war in Iraq or Afghanistan or somewhere else. I mean, they are fundamentally opposed to each other. Now, you could argue that they support the Iraq war because it was liberating those poor Iraqi women or Afghan women. Well, if you speak to the Iraqis and Afghans now, 10 years on, roughly, even if you spoke to them in the last decade, the vast majority will say life ain't that great. And it wasn't that, liberating women had nothing to do with the war. It's irrelevant. It was the argument that was used by regimes to back it. So I guess... My response to people like that would be um, spend a bit of time outside Kabul, outside the bubble, and then talk to me about ethnic gangs and... Jane? I still need to go disguise racism, I think. But um, there, is a, there is something really interesting about how we are able to think in a completely contradictory way. Australia actually is in danger of building um, kind of religious silos, and we do it through private schooling, um, by dividing our... Uh, children up, not just by private, by religious basis, though we do that. We have Islamic schools, Jewish schools, Catholic schools, fundamentalist Christian schools, exclusive brethren schools, and yes, Scientology schools, because of course that's a religion now. Um, and we also have schools for our brightest kids, schools for our good sports kids, schools for our drama kids, schools for our rich kids, schools for our poor kids, schools for our boys and schools for our girls. Well, that's siloing. That's making sure our kids don't actually meet one another. Um, that's one of my greatest complaints about religion. Religious influence in Australia is the appalling impact it's having on our comprehensive public school system, which is now becoming a school system of last resort for the very poor. Cardinal Pell has acknowledged that Catholic schools no longer educate most poor Catholics. Public schools educate most poor Catholics because Catholic schools have become middle-class schools. Religion... If that alone is all it had to answer for in Australia, has an awful lot to answer for. There. And yet, even, even as you're introducing that, you're saying it's not only the religious boundaries that are siloing, there are other things. So it's not just divisive enclaves based on religion. No, but when you do it with religion, 
you do it with divine um, kind of backing. You, you, you bring a big stick. Now, the best I ever have as an atheist and the best Anthony ever has as an atheist is a well-informed opinion. That's as high as we can go. We haven't got anything else. We can't then bring out the big stick of, but my but God agrees with me and that's why you have to do what I say. It would be silly to suggest that, I mean, I agree with quite a lot of what you're saying there, but, but it would be silly to suggest that the only reason people go into that, those systems is because of some Oh, they don't go into those systems for those reasons. religious... And in no. fact, I would say they're doing it for no religious reason at all. A lot of them are lying through their teeth about their religious <laughs> to get in. Uh, thing to get in. But religion is... Co-opting that status-seeking and fear amongst parents to create uh, cultural silos, if you like. Would it be inappropriate now to come back to something you said a minute ago about sure. oppression of women? Can I say something about that? Um, I think it's. I acknowledge what you're saying. Uh, I agree largely with you, and I think there's been terrible oppression of women by individual uh, churches, individual Christians over centuries. And uh, you know we're we're working our way through that. I don't agree that that's kind of that it is though at the core of what the religion's about. And I think if we go back to the early centuries of Christianity, it's very important to do that because that is you know it's emanating from that core teaching of Jesus and then the early church, which was undeniably enormously popular for women. Women but came flocked to the church. To that bloody original sin story, then why did they stick the New Testament? Well, I think you need a more on the Old Testament, which says women need to be ashamed of just. The fact that they are no. women, they caused all the evil. It's not how I read the early early documents of, of that or the Genesis story. What I will say though is that women, rib, women flocked to uh, the church because it, it gave them an, enor- an entirely new status. Uh, they were regarded as full humanity because they were made in the image of God. That churches uh, t- taught their people, and this was a new thing, that you weren't allowed to just put babies out to, to, to die, that would happen to girls mostly, they said that's not on because they are made in the image of God. They said we have to protect widows and orphans. And I'll get to that in a minute. Um, there was enormous strength in what, for women. And, and it's one of the reasons, Rodney Stark, the sociologist, talks about this. He said one of the reasons it, it grew, yes, there are, there, that grew so quickly was because we, it was so attractive to, to women. It was, it was mocked as the, the religion of slaves and women. And so we have to account for that. We have to go back and go, why was it so attractive to women? I'm not, and it might sound like I'm now denying all the subsequent um, mistreatment, and I'm not at all. And uh, my wife would be so you know, joining which, you in a lot in of that. In case, Simon, I think Jane's question is valid, so what happened? Yeah. Now, if we it look... It got mixed up with power. If, if we look at... Um, the idea of sharing all the world, which is another line from Lennon's song, Imagine, if the world's population was distilled into a village of 100, there's some amazing stats. Uh, Five would control a third of the world's uh, assets or wealth. 80 of that 100 people village would live in substandard housing, 24 without electricity. Um, If you've never experienced a war, imprisonment, torture or famine, you're better off than 500 million people on the globe today. We've been walking this globe uh, for centuries. What went wrong? Why do we still get this so horribly wrong? Is it connected with religion, Anthony? Well, you could argue, in fact, that we're getting it a lot more right than we have. I mean, clearly, those figures are appalling and they're appalling. However, 
compared to even 50 years ago, the numbers of people, for example, who are dying, dying of starvation, poverty, is decreasing unbelievably slowly. Is that because of religion? Um, maybe in some parts. I, I, when I look at those sort of issues in many parts of the world that I write about, Generally speaking, religion is not generally the major problem. I'm not saying it's not possibly part of an issue. In parts of, say, uh, Asia or the Middle East, the issue of, say, Islam, Christianity or Judaism, people may use those religions to oppress as justification, but I don't think it's the main reason. I think, as Simon said, power is... And I, could be, I would argue that power and religion are, are inseparable to an extent in terms of a hierarchical system, which is what religion fundamentally is. Um, and just one point on what Simon said, I mean, the idea that women went to a church to be built, to see themselves in God's image, but none of the images of the church are women. No. <laughs> so, well, actually, apart from the Virgin Mary, who... In the early church, women were very prominent. It's just But, but the, the major figures, yeah. Okay. Well, I, but I, I suppose... Uh, so, the, I mean, they were given roles and... Um, they were supporters yeah, but, of the church, and um, but the, well, in that in that context, in that, that context, would be my, but that would not be my point. We always talk about oh, women flock to this and women flock to that, but usually it's they've got this choice. They can be in the pagan Roman system, which really treats them like crap, or they can be in the Christian system, which is slightly better. But it's not like they ever get the choice until very, very recently of really being able to make much freer choices, and still very few women have that privilege anywhere in the world. Um, and in fact, one of the points I made yesterday was that the more secular a society is, the higher the status of women. The more theocratic a society is, the lower the status of women. Religion needs to look that, and, I'm, and you keep talking about Christianity. See, I'm atheist three generations. I don't know any more about Christianity than I know about Hinduism or um, Judaism. I don't know anything about it. So when you keep taking it back to Christianity, for me, that's part of the problem with religion in that each uh, person who has a particular religion will tell me that their religion is different from those other nasty no, religions. I can understand that. But, but I suppose I don't, I don't want to speak on behalf of other religions no. that I don't, like you, I don't understand as much. Or to the, so I'm speaking mostly from the perspective of it. I see religion as a structure that human beings created, maybe for very good reasons, but it very quickly got co-opted into making sure that those in power stayed there. And then, and they were all men, and basically religion as a group needs to face this incontrovertible fact about the way women's status really reflects. Well, let's, let's grab another hot topic, on, still on the issue of religion, um, the idea of heaven and hell. And if there is no heaven and hell, why do we reckon, why do we give an account of our life if there's no big stick saying do this or you'll go to hell? Or is hell actually a convenience of atheists because there's no hell, then I can do what I like? <laughs> if only that were true. Um, not that there's no hell, but that I could do what I like uh, and that atheism gave me that permission. Because Isn't that what you said yesterday, though? No, atheism gives you permission to decide for yourself. Grown-ups decide for themselves and, their, and between their own conscience and themselves what they believe is right or wrong. And most of us try to live up to what we believe is right and most of us fail most of the time because we're human. But I don't think, I don't think atheists are any better than anyone else. But I don't think they're any worse. I really don't think so. I mean, yes, you can throw Pol Pot and Hitler and Stalin at me and people do and they were terrible people and they did dreadful things. 
but they didn't kill in the name of atheism. They killed in the name of quasi-religious cults like Nazism, Communism, Marxism, etc. Um, so whilst atheists have done awful things, as have members of all religions, that's not really to do with being an atheist or not being an atheist. Atheism is simply a belief that no one judges me, I need to be responsible for what I do. My view of heaven and hell is simple. I think people want to believe that, it's egoistic in a way to want to believe that you're not just going to disappear. And I suspect, well, I believe I'm just going to disappear. And when people say, don't you worry about what's going to happen after, I always go, no, I think it's probably going to be very much like what happened before. And that didn't worry me. I think, I think that that has probably sparked a question for us from the audience. Hey, um, do I need to introduce myself? I'll just share our question. Oh, well, my name is Hadi. I've got a question for Jane, maybe because I'm a bit slow, but I wasn't. I, I have a question when she talks about how in religion you have more men in the status sort of things rather than women. But I'm just thinking what is more important, whether it's a status itself or whether it's the happiness that you bring, because um, I study religion a bit myself, and normally when I go to, say, churches, what they teach you is how you should uh, love your family and maybe how you should love your wife. So if I, uh, for me personally, status brings responsibility. It doesn't mean that women are weaker or less capable. It just means that, okay, you've got your own responsibility as a guy, as a female. And then maybe, maybe just when you have so many males on the higher position and then... So what's your question here? Is the status important or the happiness? Yes. Okay, great. It's not up to you to decide and it's not up to me to decide. It's not up to you to tell women that they should be happy or that happiness is more important for them. It is up for each individual human being to decide whether what they want, given a suite of options, equal suite of options, is to remain as the source of the happiness in the home, if that's what women do. And I think that's hard. I think men should take 50% of that responsibility, but that's up to them. But it is not up to you or I to tell women, ah, you should be happy with that, and poor men have to do that. Well, poor men shouldn't have to do that either. But it's not about roles. It's about individual human beings deciding for themselves. It's all feminism believes. Another question over here. Hi, Jane. It's just a question. Uh, you mentioned beforehand that you're third generation atheist and when I listen to yourself and Anthony I, I hear about religion thanks and there are there have been disgusting things that have happened in the name of religion and using the name of Christ or Yahweh or Muhammad whatever the case might be but there was something that sparked with me and that is have you actually read what Christ said as opposed to what religion is talking about. Thank you for that question. Uh, me or Anthony? Um, I, I have. I mean, actually, when I was at school, I went to an Anglican school in Melbourne. I didn't go to a Jewish school because my parents thought the Jewish school would be far too narrow in education, ironically. And then wondered why I was only dating non-Jewish girls. Can't imagine why. But anyway, <laughs> um, yes. But I actually was... I found this ironic at the time, as my parents did, that I was often the top of my religious class at school. This, of course, was an Anglican school, and I ended up being in the school choir, which makes no sense to me now whatsoever, because um, I was singing about Jesus, which was odd, um, seeing I wasn't Christian. But putting that issue aside, I think, yes, I mean, have I read everything that in the Bible? No, I've read quite a bit of it. And yes, a lot of the things that Jesus and 
that is in the Bible, I guess you could frame as generic good things that most people would want to support or believe. Um, you know, a lot of the Ten Commandments are quite are pretty, you know, don't murder people, quite good. The last five are all right. The first five are all about don't worship anyone but me. Yeah, I mean, like some of them aren't that fantastic, frankly. And I think there is a sense that, and this I think is one of the things that many people who have faith need to accept, and some do more than others, that institutional religions, and obviously we can always use the example of the Vatican and the Catholic Church, has done such unbelievable damage to the brand, so to speak, and yet despite that, that's I'm talking about, I mean, I could argue that Israel has done wonderful, sorry, amazingly bad damage to Judaism, in my view, that without a reckoning and a serious discussion and pressure to change that, this sort of attitude in the West will continue to fray. I mean, there's no other way that it can go. I mean, one looks at it in the last years with the sexual abuse issues in the Catholic Church. The figures in the West of people's interest in, in the church is diving. It's diving. And yet, um, in Simon's article in the Sydney Morning Herald yesterday, he was quoted as um, the 2009 Herald Nielsen poll said that 60% believe in God and miracles. That's different. So, it is, yes. as far as church attendance versus those who believe. And I guess that's why we're having this kind of discussion. Mm. Now, we're going to need, we're needing to wrap up very quickly, but Jane, did you want to respond yes. to this question? I haven't, and I haven't read the Quran, and I haven't read any of the other holy books. Um, that wasn't part of my upbringing. Um, I certainly was ex- have been exposed to some of Christ's sayings and the stories and things through the culture, because, of course, Western culture is embedded with it. Um, but I, I, I would see it as, uh, in a way, unfair of me to just read what Christ said. If I was really going to um, get into looking at this, I would have to read all the holy books, and quite frankly, my spirit quails at the idea. <laughs> we, are, we are at the point where we do need to wrap up because, unfortunately, we don't have enough time to keep talking for another two hours, which I'd love to do. But I thought what might be helpful just to wrap up this part um, is to say, look, 30 seconds from each of you, your response to the statement today, imagine no religion, would we be better off? Anthony. I think um, the world may well not be better off if there was no religion because it's so embedded within our culture. So if we suddenly turn the tap off tomorrow, there could be mass chaos, maybe, maybe not. Um, To me, though, in a personal sense, I think that one of the great tragedies of the last century has been how Israel, Judaism and Zionism have become one for many Jews and therefore that's manifested itself in a situation where many Jews support hideous human rights abuses as a Jew and if you you speak out against that as a Jew, you are called as a bad Jew, you're a non-Jew, whatever. That to me... As, a, as an atheist Jew is one of the tragedies of, of our age, particularly what happened to Jews during the Nazi period. So that to me is a reason why I constantly say that Judaism and Zionism must be separated for Judaism to have any chance, even in a, as a cultural sense, to thrive. Otherwise, I think we're going down the path what we're seeing now in Israel where, for example, you have occupation but also increasing, you know, there's separate buses now in the main part of Tel Aviv and Jerusalem where men and women are at separate parts of the bus. This is a democracy, supposedly. Men at the front, women at the back. These are Jews. I mean, I'll leave so, you with that. So I guess you know, <laughs> we need to be a little more careful rather than just a broad brush religion, yes or no. Yes. Yeah. Simon? 
Yeah, we've been speaking in very broad terms uh, appropriately, but I guess I'd keep coming back to, at a more personal level, what I observe in, and again, from a Christian perspective, but what I observe around me and what I read, but the people, say, for instance, in my own church, people who are in community with me who might be battling addictions of various kinds and finding, you know, finding slowly a way forward in that, finding families that are being healed, where broken, there have been broken relationships, um, people who, who were mean-spirited and are slowly becoming slightly better people, those sorts of things. And I think of my, um, of my friends who, who left a very prosperous uh, situation in Northern Ireland, people I was studying with overseas, and went to South Africa to uh, live with and care for children in a hospital who are burns victims. Uh, they've adopted three of the children themselves. Uh, they do this, they, these particular people do this out of, entirely out of a worldview that includes God at the centre of it as love, who they feel is calling them to do that sort of thing. And they do it joyfully, which is a, a great encouragement, I guess. And so would the world be better off without that? I'd say definitely not. Jane, your response to that statement? Without religion, better off, yes. Faith, on the other hand, different thing. That's up to each person and I'm not a banner. I don't want to get, what was Elizabeth first said? She doesn't want to make windows into men's souls. She was one of the first smart women Um, (laughs) and smart leaders. And um, I think I always, again, I'll be personal. I live in a world which is more or less without religion. Um, When asked to do this, I thought about who do I know who's really devoutly religious? Um, and I worked out, I had two friends who are quite devout. Um, and they're lovely people and terrific. But no one in my family is, uh, has any religion at all. No one in my extended family has any religion at all. And I was thinking about what they do. Relationships counsellor, deputy principal of an underprivileged public high school, um, social worker with docs, probation officer, equal employment opportunity officer with the BBC. Um, these are atheists who are going out there and doing... I hope you don't hear me saying that you don't... No, no, no. But what I'm saying is I don't think that's about religion. I don't think it's about atheism. I think it's about people being good people and wanting to help other people from a sense of compassion and, you know, to use a religious phrase, there but for the grace of God go I. Um, I'm the black sheep. I've spent 30 odd years in advertising. So I can't really preach anything to anybody. Would you please thank our panellists today. As you've seen from the flyer that you were given, there's a three-week series that uh, Al Stewart will be doing in unpacking a little bit more of some of the things that we've been talking about today. And I thought it would be great to to meet Al, so here he comes. I don't have a mic. Do you have a mic? There's a mic coming. Very good. That'll do. Excellent. And a microphone. And a microphone. Fabulous. Al, um, just off the cuff, what did you enjoy about today's panel discussion? Oh, fascinating. Great, great to actually hear from people with a, with a different worldview and actually listen. Mm-hmm. And the more we do that, the better our city, our nation will be. So I've got lots to think about as I've gone away. And what can we uh, expect over the next three weeks of this series you're going to be doing? Uh, as I've been standing out there thinking, uh, Jane talked about John Lennon as a subversive And I thought, yeah, and so was Jesus. And I realised that that most Aussies, and I've heard here, don't like institutional religion and 
Jesus was so critical of the institutional religion of his time, of the power brokers and so on, that they crucified him. So, like, what was it that he said that got up their nose so much? Uh, with all respect, Anthony, I, I disagree with you about the New Testament. You know, he said contains lots of generically good things. What Jesus actually says is explosive. I see why they crucified him. And what he says has lots to do with us, who we are, why we can't get our lives right, really, or live up to our own standards, God, judgment day, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And most Aussies haven't ever engaged with what Jesus taught as an adult. So that's what we try and do. And um, Yeah. Excellent. Well, if you'd like to be part of unpacking that, get along to these next three weeks. Next three weeks. Okay. Thank you. Now, um, as you see in your little leaflet too, if you want to continue this discussion with our panel members, I don't know if um, all of them today have been asked, but certainly yesterday's panel members will be part of a discussion on Facebook and we'd love you to to, uh, join in that. We'll hand over to Peter. Finally, just a a thank you to Russ Matthews, who did a lot of work behind the scenes organising today and yesterday, and also to the team from the Centre of Public Christianity who have done all the filming. So otherwise, have a great afternoon, and we hope to see you next week to hear the series. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.